Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, Listener Mail. This is Robert Lamb. And this is Joe McCormick. And today it's Monday, the day of the week that we read back some messages you've sent into the show email address, which is contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. If you want to get in touch, uh, you have thoughts about an episode we did, something you want to add, uh, or just something interesting to share with us, you can always reach us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Uh, let's see, Rob, I think I'm going to jump in on this message about our Cauldron series from Rhiannon. Oh, this bodes well. Oh, and this one has some Welsh words in it. I apologize in advance. I'll, I'll do my best. So Rhiannon says, Ahoy, hoy! I was so thrilled at hearing you guys discuss the Pyre to Denny, the Cauldron of Rebirth, on your run of shows about cauldrons. Uh, remember, this is the Rob. Can you do a quick summary of this story? What was the one of Ephnician uh, and the the Cauldron of Rebirth? So uh, the enemy has this Cauldron of Rebirth. They're using it to rebirth their dead soldiers. Ephnician uh, realizes this is foul play, so he hides among the dead and, of the enemy, and then his body is taken with the dead to this magical cauldron. One by one, the bodies are dumped into the cauldron. They come out uh, reborn. 
but um, but he is thrown in alive. And since he is thrown in alive, he is able to destroy the cauldron from the inside, uh, preventing the enemy, the Irish, from using it ever again against, um, uh, against his people. Uh, but in doing so, he also dies. Excellent resummary. Okay, so uh, going back to Rhiannon's message. Rhiannon says, Joe pondered what Ethnician's motivation may have been to throw himself into the cauldron, and if he knew it would kill him. Being the faithful Welsh teacher that I am, I dug out my copy of the adapted Mabinogion to try and answer your question. Dafid and Rhiannon Ethan's version notice, uh, notes that Ephnician looks down on the pile of the dead Kedern, or Welsh-ish soldiers, and realizes that he was to blame for their deaths. Once in the cauldron, he stretches out all his limbs and breaks the cauldron, but also breaks his own heart. Mm. Mm. Uh, email goes on. But... With the stories of the Mabinogion coming from the oral tradition, there's nothing to say that other uh, oh here's a tough word. I think it's Kavarwit or storytellers wouldn't have told the story in a slightly different way. This still happens now, especially with more local legends. People will often compare the versions they were told as children. That's an excellent point, Rhiannon. And one we've brought up on the show a number of times before that we, you know, people often, um, when they're hearing about mythology, they want to know what is the canonical version of the myth because they think about it more like Star Wars canon, where there is like an authority who has like, uh, you know, in in an almost economic sense, like copyright over the the intellectual property, and they can say uh, what's what's part of the myth and what's not. Uh, but with with mythology, there just is nothing like that, and there in fact may be no such thing as the canonical version of the myth. A lot of times, what we interpret as canonical is just the version of a story that happens to appear in a surviving text that is available to modern historians that, you know, there, there's no reason to think that that version of the story was more widespread or authoritative than any other. Yeah. So when you watch the 80s uh, production of Hercules from Canon film starring Lou Ferrigno, you have to realize like this is valid. This is just another valid <laughs> right. version of the myth. I joke, it's ridiculous, but uh, yeah. <laughs> at any rate. Uh, uh, finally, Rhiannon writes, I've attached a link to the National Museum of Wales digitized copy of, uh, and this is a work called the uh, Liver Gwyn uh, Rhythurk, and that uh, uh, has handwritten copies of all four of the Mabinogion, as well as some other tales from the 14th century. Once again, thank you for the amazing work you do. I look forward to hearing you guys discussing the Mabinogion, perhaps in future shows. Rhiannon. Yeah, yeah. I bet there's some more stuff in there we could come back to. Uh, it does seem a, a deep well of uh, wonderful and magical ideas. Totally. Thank you, Rhiannon. All right. Well, we've already heard back from a few different folks concerning the episode Creative Writing Machines with Mike Sharples, uh, and particularly uh, your use of the story machine uh, on the website, story-machines.net, if you want to try it out. Uh, and so we wanted to, to share at least some of what we heard back from you all, some of your uh, resulting AI-assisted tales. So this one comes to us from Sam. Sam writes in and says, Hey, Robin Joe, your podcast is awesome. It got me through recovery from a spinal fusion in 2017, and I've been a fan ever since. I tried out the Story Machine website with a title of Ninja Cockatoos and the Maku Picchu Heist. <laughs> and no starting text. Here's the resulting story. I thought it was quite entertaining. 
All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read what he shared here. The ninja cockatoos had been planning the biggest heist of their careers. They had been planning and plotting for months, and finally, it was almost time. They had gathered all of the supplies they would need and were ready to take on the world. They had planned the heist carefully. First, they would break into Picchu Temple and steal the ancient treasure. After that, they would fly away to a secret location and spend their riches without anyone ever knowing. The ninja cockatoos were confident in their abilities. They had spent many hours practicing their skills, and they were ready for anything. The day of the heist was finally here. The cockatoos flew into the temple and began to search for the treasure. It didn't take them long to find it. Hidden in a hidden chamber was an enormous pile of gold coins. The ninja cockatoos were ecstatic. They quickly gathered their treasure and flew away to their secret location. There, they could finally begin their life of luxury. <laughs> Everyone will never know what happened to the Maku Pichu treasure. The ninja cockatoos got away with it, and that's all that matters. That is indeed all that matters. This is, yeah, this is a, I, I found similar experiences with various things I was trying out. And like sometimes the story doesn't have any real conflict in it and has a nice happy ending. Uh, and then sometimes there's some stuff that comes off a little wonky as well. Like uh, the idea that something is hidden in a hidden chamber or yeah. that everyone will never know. That's every <laughs> Everyone will never know about <laughs> the ninja cockatoos. Clearly, to me, the best part is the final phrase, and that's all that matters. They got away <laughs> with it. Well, that's great. Thanks, Sam. Uh, let's see. Rob, do you actually also want to do the next one? Because this is about one of your uh, Monster Fact episodes on the owl bear. You're going to have to explain this one to me. Oh, okay. Do you, do you know the owl bear? I don't know anything about the owl bear. Oh, you need to encounter an owl bear or whip one out. Are you DMing these days? I'm not DMing, no. I'm, oh, well, I'm you just... can fight an owlbear. Request it. Summon one. Okay, um, okay. It's a, it's, a, it's a fun creature. I mean, it looks like a, a bear, but uh, with an owl's head, like a big furry, um, well, not furry, feathered, like a big feathery, furry, uh, like land flightless owl. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of cool art of it. There's some fun minis. I'm actually just finishing up a, a miniature of one. Uh, it's pretty fun to, to paint from WizKids. Um, but but one of the things I got into on the episode was talking about uh, how feasible it seems. The idea that, you know, we, we have examples of big flightless birds. We also even have example of one prehistoric uh, flightless owl or nearly flightless. So we're not exactly sure. Not quite as big as an owl bear, but still fairly big in size. So essentially, like the, the, the concept of the owl bear is only marginally fantastic, and therefore it's it's super interesting to imagine an environment in which this kind of creature could uh, could thrive. Mm. So anyway, Matthew writes in and says, "Good afternoon, team. After listening to the shortcast, oh, that's a great name for it. I never thought about uh, calling it a shortcast. Uh, the shortcast on the owl bear. I think there is another way to have owl bears in a fantasy world: clockwork." The only monster to give me a healthy case of gaming PTSD, the clockwork owlbear, can indeed be disguised very well and often can pass for a natural owlbear. <laughs> they can be so well disguised that a foolish bard or ranger wanted to take one as a pet and didn't realize it wasn't a natural owlbear until there was a small uh, ballista bolt jutting from his chest and bolts for the rest of his party, including my character, and quite a few scratch marks along the way. 
This also could make sense for the owlbear in general, created for a specific reason, like the druids protecting the woodlands, or a horrible magical experiment gone right, because who doesn't love fuzzy bears with owls uh, for a head? Thank you for the fun little episode and the fantastic flashback. I now have to write on many desks to not touch anything that is ticking out of habit. Thanks for all you do. Well, that's a fun twist. I like that, 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 uh, that twist of the clockwork owlbear. That, that's a good question. So if you're like a ranger and you've got a talk to animals ability or something, I guess that doesn't work if the animal is secretly an automaton. Hmm. But what if the automaton is programmed to go along with it if you start talking to it and you're a druid? I don't know. Hmm. Would you be able to detect the difference? Probably, probably a wisdom role involved there. I see. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. 
brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, uh, I'm going to do this next one that is a response all about April O'Neil's jumpsuit from Teenage Mutant Ninja <laughs> Turtles. Uh, this is a follow-up to a discussion we had in a previous listener mail episode, which was mostly about fashion choices in the Ninja Turtles cartoon, uh, the one that was on when we were kids. I know there's newer ones. So questions like, why were the mutant villains Bebop and Rocksteady dressed as punks? Did this mean they were fans of punk music? And why did the reporter April O'Neil always wear a bright yellow jumpsuit? Does that have something to do with being a reporter? Is that some association from the time I didn't get as a kid? So we opened the question up to the audience, and Renata got in touch to say, Hi, Seth, Rob, and Joe. I finally got around to asking my partner if he has any take on why April O'Neil wears a yellow jumpsuit, and I wanted to share that conversation with you. First, my initial reaction when hearing you bring it up. Granted, it's been 30 years since I watched the cartoon, but I channeled my seven-year-old self, and my assumption was that she rides in a helicopter, and that is an aviator suit. Hmm. Oh... That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. This could just be because I was really into helicopters at the time, but I feel that the late 80s and early 90s was the peak of news helicopters. I think that's right. Uh, I have no idea if she was ever actually in a helicopter on the show. I Oh, I feel certain she was. Doesn't I think we saw her riding in a news helicopter in the opening credits. That sounds super familiar, yes. Uh, but then uh, Renata also shares her partner Ben's thoughts and says, Ben's first thought was that a solid yellow jumpsuit is easy to draw. I think this theory has a lot of merit and probably played a huge role. He also pointed out that April was a programmer and an assistant to a scientist in the comic, making the jumpsuit slightly more appropriate for those professions. Ah, I see. So it could be like a I don't know, hazardous chemical you know, protective suit in that case. Oh, so so maybe it, it's an artifact of a prior character design. Possibly. 
But Renata has more thoughts about jumpsuits. Rob, I know you're chomping at the bit for these. Okay. (laughs) So uh, we also remembered that lots of characters and ordinary people in the 80s wore jumpsuits. Think Ghostbusters. And, of course, there were plenty of fashionable styles available, too. The fashion of, quote, women of action in the 80s is a really interesting topic in itself. When the 90s hit, women's outfits in movies and comics became increasingly impractical in the way that they were too restricting and exposing. For a brief time in the 80s, you had a string of women who presented as hardworking, stoic, and tough, and they got away with utilitarian outfits. Some examples of other jumpsuit-clad women of the 80s include uh, Jilly Layton from Brazil, Gadget Hackwrench from Chippendale's Rescue Rangers, (laughs) Ripley from Alien, uh, Annie Lewis from RoboCop... Oh, love Officer Lewis, one of my favorite 80s movie cops. Um, and then uh, and then Renata says, uh, Ben pointed out that this could be a throwback to Rosie the Riveter. It's simply so ingrained in our American consciousness that hardworking women wear jumpsuits. You just don't have to explain it. That's a good point. I'd love to hear other ideas about April's outfit and examples of women in jumpsuits in pop culture. Uh, I'd also like to shout out two of my closest friends, A and C, who are getting married this month and who introduced me to your show. A and C, I hope you're listening, and I wish you many great years of listening to Stuff to Blow Your Mind together. All the best vibes, as always, Renata. Well, well, I second all of that. Yeah, congrats, A and C. Congratulations. Great email. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. I mean, it is hard to beat a good jumpsuit in a a film. We keep coming back to that at Weird House Cinema. Anytime a... I don't think we've had a bad jumpsuit yet. Totally. Always love a jumpsuit. All right. Speaking of weird Isn't else. that just so much more interesting than having your heroes wear jeans? <laughs> Whoever they are, whatever they're doing, just embrace the April O'Neil philosophy. It doesn't necessarily have to match their current canon profession. They should just wear a jumpsuit. It's <laughs> cool. All right. Well, speaking of Weird House Cinema, let's let's get into some some Weird House Cinema centric email here. This first one comes to us from Pat. Pat says these shows are entertaining. Scream and Scream Again <laughs> was nostalgic for me. I saw it at a decrepit Brooklyn theater when I was ten years old. I was scared by the hand in the handcuffs. Suggestion in the mouth of madness. Thanks again, Pat. You saw it at a decrepit Brooklyn theater when you were ten years old. Something, something went wrong there. <laughs> uh, it sounds like the perfect place to see it, though. Uh, I mean, you know, we, you know, mileage may vary concerning age, but uh, yeah, I love to hear from from folks who saw these films on their original run, no matter what decade uh, it occurred in. Uh, as for In the Mouth of Madness, uh, that's that's one of my favorites. Uh, great cast, uh, really enjoyable film. Yeah, Rachel and I just watched that one. I think this past October. Yeah. I keep having this uh, this urge, like if we actually do a John Carpenter film, like mm-hmm. do we do one of the more known, well known ones, or do we we do his Elvis film? Or, I think if, we have to do one of his worst movies. We could do <laughs> Ghosts of Mars. Would we break the Millennium Seal for that? Um, I mean, Ghost of Mars. There's a lot to talk about with Ghost of Mars. Um, it's not great a, cast, a, terrible movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got some. It's got some things going for it, but it also has its, its more than its share of flaws. Um, Cronenberg, though, is a similar situation. I'm like, would we? Would people were like, which Cronenberg movie could you do? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Um, you know, maybe maybe the correct answer is Scanners, but maybe the correct answer is his uh, race car movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like maybe that's the direction we should go in. That one has a, a slightly interesting cast as well. 
I remember one of the funniest choices about Ghosts of Mars. This is a movie about like monsters on on the planet Mars, by the way. And one of the weirdest things about it is that they decided that Ice Cube's character's name would be Desolation Williams, and the other characters refer to him by the name Desolation in dialogue. So they're like, hey, Desolation, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, Nick, I, I don't like it when a nickname has too many syllables in it in a movie. Yeah. Like um, Danny McBride has a character whose nickname is Tennessee in Alien Covenant. And That's I love a lot much. of things about Alien Covenant, but no, no one would call him Tennessee. You would call him Tin, maybe. Yeah, or, something like that. It could be it could be Tex if he was yeah, from Texas. Tex. You, yeah. You tweak but, it there, yeah. But I just don't think Tennessee is a an acceptable nickname even in space. Do you remember all the people who were in Ghosts of Mars, though? It's not just Ice Cube. It's got Jason Statham. Yeah. It's got Pam Greer. Pam Greer's yeah. in it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you got uh, what Natasha Hintridge is in it. Um, you have Robert Carradine. Uh, <laughs> I mean, as long as you get one Carradine in there, I guess you're doing all right. Um, oh, John Carradine's in there somewhere. Yeah. He's Rex Lynn. He's a great character actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess we don't need to do it on Weird House now. We just did it. Yeah. Oh, music. It has some pretty fun music, as I recall. I think they had Buckethead uh, <laughs> in, in the session. I remember watching an, an, an extra feature on the DVD about the, the soundtrack. And yeah, Carpenter was, was really into it. And I want to say that Gerald Brom, who is a you know, wonderful fantasy artist, I believe he did some concept images for this one as well. I don't know to what extent they're represented or, or you know, accurately represented in the final film. Oh, man. Well, the title Ghosts of Mars sounds like the name of a fantastic pulp sci-fi novel that would have great cover art. But mm-hmm. uh, alas, instead, it is it is what it is. All right, Rob, you want to do this message from Lee? Yep, this one's from Lee. Lee says, Dear Rob and Joe, while I have been in touch before, this is the first time I am writing about Weird House Cinema. First, I grew up in a rural Virginia town during the three channels, most of the time, uh, roof antenna era of broadcast television. We had a local Petersburg TV station that ran a locally hosted program called Shock Theater, featuring horror and sci-fi movies. Our host was The Bowman Body, and uh, there's a website included, thebowmanbody.com. Uh, I checked this out. It does have some some stuff about this. He kind of looks like, uh, is, is he sort of going for, for death from the seventh seal, but uh, a little bit more campy? Yeah, I think so. Like, you know, I, by the way, I love examples of this. They're like growing up, I guess my only daytime horror host was Grandpa Munster on uh, one of the Turner uh, stations. Uh, he would introduce shows on like on the weekend during the day. And I really loved that. And of course, later on, you encounter, you know, encounter stuff like El- Elvira and uh, the uh, USA Up All Night people, eventually Joe Bob and so forth. Mm-hmm. But these, you know, th- I love these examples of these old school, like, Finn Gooley style uh, daytime mm-hmm. horror host. They they had they had an important role to play in this oh, totally. era of television. I mean, it it goes way back too. You remember, like uh, it was before there was Elvira, there was Vampira. Yeah, that's right. So anyway, Lee continues. Sorry for the tangent. Anyway, one of the films I remember watching 
was Scream and Scream Again, although I couldn't recall the title until your uh, recent episode. Granted, I was somewhere around 10 at the time I saw it, but I constantly recalled scenes from the movie during other episodes, hoping to hear scene descriptions and catch the title. Well, it happened. A couple of scenes I specifically remembered were the handcuffed arm amputation and the acid pit in the outbuilding, which I always remember as a barn or garage. And I think that's an accurate uh, memory. It's essentially, it looks very much like a barn, even yeah. though Vincent Price's character describes it as an outbuilding. Lee continues, now I have the title and can go hunt down the movie to watch again. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome, I guess. I, no, <laughs> I hope you I, like it. <laughs> who, how can you not like Scream and Scream again? I mean, it's, it's remember, it's triple distilled. That's true, yes. Uh, Lee continues, on another tangent, have you ever seen any hosted movies other than MST3K, of course? It's an interesting bit of pop culture history. Here are a couple more links regarding this phenomenon. One, a link to the IMDb page for Virginia Creepers, a documentary on the Virginia hosts by Sean Cotts, and a link to an article Sean wrote about doing the documentary. I do enjoy the podcast and hope to solve a couple more movie mysteries in the future. Thanks again for the podcast, Lee. And uh, Lee includes uh, the links here. So, yeah, again, I, I love, I love uh, any example pretty much of the, these hosted uh, film nights, uh, you know, the ones that are well, not necessarily nights. Again, a lot of them are daytime horror hosts. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's such a fun bit of uh, television history. Yeah, I was just thinking it's weird how we usually, or at least I usually associate it with the kinds of movie genres that we would cover on Weird House Cinema. So it's going to be mm-hmm. horror, sci-fi, weird stuff. But there were hosted movie programs that were just for other genres, you know, comedies and dramas and stuff. I remember when I was a kid, there was one that came on TBS where they would like cook a meal and show you a movie and the meal would be based. It was like a combination (laughs) cooking show. And so it's like, imagine Elvira except not spooky. And she's like making a back to the future themed pie. (laughs) That's a weird, I'd never heard of that one. Um, I, mean, I, certainly, I, I think it was called Dinner in a Movie. Do you remember huh. that? No. Oh, wait. Oh, my goodness. I hadn't thought of this in years. But yes, I think you're right. Yeah, this was a Turner thing. Dinner in a Movie. Now I remember at least the ads for I probably watched some of it as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I guess the, the thing is, you had these stations, especially with Turner, you had access to all these films, and they probably knew which ones would bump ratings uh, and, uh, you know, which ones would, would get more viewers. But for relatively low production cost, you could get a host on there and add this extra bit of fresh uh, freshness to it, a little bit more engagement maybe. Essentially, is in the case of the, the horror host, you kind of have a carnival barker for the movie. Yes. Inviting the kids in, inviting folks in, like, here, I have this disgusting treat for you. Uh, let's look at it together, that sort of thing. We may have mentioned this before, but I, I think another thing that the horror hosts do is especially like for kids who might be more inclined to think, oh, a horror movie is going to be really scary, you know, and mm-hmm. my, you know, like expectation of reaction can kind of dictate your actual reaction. You expect, oh, you know, this is going to scare me and bother me. Uh, but the the host, because they're almost always approaching it from a comedic point of view, whether it's Grandpa Munster or Elvira or whatever, they're making jokes about the movie. Yeah. So you, uh, so that kind of like feeds in a different kind of prime and they're like, oh, maybe these movies can also be funny and just like a fun thing to watch with your friends. Yeah, I think that's a, a super valid point. Yeah, in, informing you that, yeah, these films are fun. 
It is fun to watch them. We don't need to take it too seriously. Um, it's it's fun to be a little afraid by them and so forth. And it breaks up the tone and so and all. So, yeah, I, I fondly uh, think back. I, you know, I particular particularly remember Grandpa Munster introducing. Um, it was of course this was Al Lewis, right? Yeah, uh, Al Lewis. Yeah, uh, presenting giant ant movies on, <laughs> on, on Turner Television. Yeah. I guess the upscale version of this would be uh, PBS, uh, um, particularly remembering a masterpiece theater, you know, where you have uh, oh yeah, you know, the upscale host uh, letting you know that what what you're about to watch this is an uh, this is an upper class uh, situation. This yeah. is highbrow. It's so, classy, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, on Sesame Street, we had Alistair Cookie uh, as opposed to Alistair Cook uh, hosting masterpiece uh, yes. theater. Yes. Well, this is something I'd love to hear about from from more listeners. Did you have a a weird local movie host in your media market? I I want to know who they were. What was their deal? Yeah, and especially, I mean, I don't. I especially want to hear about expected horror examples, but also these weird other examples, like yeah. uh, uh, like the dinner in a movie thing or a masterpiece theater. What else is out there? All right, we're going to go ahead and uh, close up this edition of Listener Mail, but we'll be back. Uh, we publish these episodes in Monday on Mondays in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, we do core episodes. On Wednesdays, we do a short-form artifact or monster fact episode. And on Fridays, we do Weird House Cinema. That's our time to set aside most serious concerns and just focus on a strange film. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feed Feedback on this episode or any other to suggest a topic for the future or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stuff to blow your mind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.